0: 60 Week 60 Books. This week we will be looking at a book published 27 years ago, Hitler's Willing Executioners by Daniel Jonah Goldhagen. And this week it is we as I have invited my husband Peter to join me to talk about this book as we both read it at roughly the same time. We were living in China when it came out in the spring of 1996 but were back in the UK during the summer and picked up the hefty hardback then.
1: I remember seeing a review in The Economist and feeling that I had to get hold of this book and I read it the following summer and it was quite an interesting insight into the Holocaust because for the first time of all the books I had read it attacked the question of who, who were the perpetrators and it was in Goldhagen's conclusion essentially the German people.
0: Uh, I was quite reluctant to read it. Peter said Uh, he finished it and then said why don't you take a look at it Uh, and I think part of me felt I already knew quite a bit about the Holocaust it had been part of the fabric of my growing up I'd read Anne Frank's Diary very young I had read When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit Uh, when I was a teenager Holocaust the mini-series with Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice uh, the film also starring Meryl Streep based on William Styron's book came out Um, I'd read uh, Primo Levi I felt I knew what the Holocaust was about. But Peter was quite insistent. And in addition, the reviews were really suggesting that it was a very controversial book and one that really required reading because it was a whole fresh perspective on one of the worst episodes in human history.
1: I think one of the things I found difficult at the time, and I still find somewhat difficult, is uh, the feeling that it would be easy to succumb to Germanophobia by reading the book. Uh, The conclusions that Goldhagen draws is is that um, this was essentially a German enterprise uh, and without the Germans there would have been no Holocaust. Uh, I still have reservations about the conclusions he draws but he makes a very compelling case and provides lots of documentary evidence.
0: It really stacks up, doesn't it? There uh, there is a kind of relentless uh, roll call uh, of horrible atrocities, of terrible events, um, kind of episode after episode, uh, particularly in that area which uh, Timothy Snyder later referred to as the Bloodlands, Uh, If we're looking at places like uh, the Baltic states, Ukraine, uh, Belarus, it seems as though there was a kind of relentless determination to uh, destroy human life in the most brutal possible way. And I found it incredibly shocking, uh, incredibly shocking and upsetting. That may have been because at the time that I actually read it, which was the autumn of 1996, uh, I was actually pregnant with our first child And I think it, in some way, uh, triggered a really terrified response in me that I still am not entirely sure I understand.
1: I think one of the things that was very hard to digest was his location of this act of mass concerted killing firmly in the camp of Germany and Germans. He says that Germans' anti-Semitic beliefs about Jews were his central causal agent of the Holocaust and that the anti-Semitism moved many thousands of ordinary Germans and would have moved millions more had they been appropriately positioned to slaughter Jews. And he underlines the fact that ordinary people were killing unarmed, defenseless Jewish men, women and children by the thousands, systematically and without pity.
0: I I later, as a result of reading Hitler's Willing Executioners, I began uh, what I think you described as, as something of an excessive... Uh, reading around the topic of the Holocaust. Uh, And one of the books I picked up quite early uh, after reading Hitler's Willing Willing Executioners was Christopher Browning's 1992 book, Ordinary Men, uh, which is his account of the role of Reserve Battalion 101. Um, And that was really interesting because uh, Browning actively challenged Goldhagen's thesis Um, And there is a record, which you can find on the internet, of the debate they had in April 1996, where Browning really challenges Goldhagen's thesis. Um, And I think that is something that has continued. That's the central controversy in the book. uh, And it's the central controversy which I think has driven a lot of Holocaust scholarship since then. Uh, I think the thing for me that I found really disquieting was that Goldhagen claimed to explain the why of the Holocaust, but after reading his book, I felt it was more more of a horrible mystery than ever. I still uh, could not get my head around how humans could do the atrocities to each other that are depicted in the book very, very vividly. I have no doubt about his scholarship, about his access to really important material, uh, to really clear evidence of what went on. But I think it's the interpretation of the book that I still feel uneasy about.
1: I suspect that Goldhagen had difficulty convincing himself of the theories that he puts in his book. But he, he reverts to a list of uh, why people acted as they did. Uh, he focuses on what the perpetrators actually did. What did they do in excess of what was necessary, the orders that they received and what they refused to do. Uh, What would they not have done had they had the choice? And what was the manner in which they carried out their tasks? And then how smoothly did the overall operations proceed? And I think he falls down on the side of the argument that they were killing defenseless men, women and children who were of obviously no martial threat to them, often emaciated and weak, in unmistakable physical and emotional agony, and sometimes begging for their lives. And he says that every perpetrator contributed to the programme of extermination, and very few opted out of such duties in the institutions which they are known to have given them the choice."
0: That's interesting, because that's a point that Browning, uh, both in the actual physical debate that they had uh, in Washington in, in April 96, and also subsequently, that's something he really challenged. Uh, Browning, uh, well, Goldhagen challenges Browning by saying that there's no, uh, there's insufficient evidence that people pulled out of the mass killings. But uh, Browning kind of has a, a, th- a rule of thumb that he applies, in which he believes that about between uh, 10 and 15 percent at, at sometimes and even as high as 20, uh, 23 to 25 percent of the people involved, it, certainly in Reserve Battalion 101, actively uh, turned away from the killing, actively refused to participate. Um, and at a time which, which he emphasizes, Goldhagen suggests that um, people weren't really going to be punished for not participating but, but Browning refutes that and says, you know, don't forget this was a time of dictatorship that if you challenge the dictatorship even by doing something uh, which would be regarded as moral by refusing to, to murder defenceless people, uh, you could be regarded, well, it would certainly harm your prospects and Goldhagen and Browning I don't think have reconciled that particular point.
1: And we're aware, of course, of the um, Sophie Scholl uh, story before uh, the, the outbreak of war, where just putting uh, propaganda around leaflets led to the execution of young students who were still teenagers. So there, there is um, possibly quite a lot of evidence to suggest that people certainly feared the worst, e- even if um, they, they didn't always put it to the test. Um, I'm also a little bit hesitant about... Uh, attacking a country and a culture en bloc, because there have been so many other acts of genocidal or mass murder, uh, uh, genocidal events or mass murder over the centuries. I mean, even in my lifetime, we've got um, a whole series, including the Indonesian act of killing in the 1960s, the Khmer Rouge in the 1970s, the Rwandan murder of Tutsis in 1994, the Bosnian genocide, the the, uh, Sudanese Darfuri genocide in the early 2000s, and most recently uh, in Myanmar the Rohingya genocide so i i find it difficult to lay the blame with one nation but uh, i understand the intensity with which he believes his theory
0: i agree i think that he comes from a very particular place and space in time where and and also that one of the things that's interesting about both his work and brownings work is that this was the beginning of Holocaust research, which was able to use information, papers, uh, and also um, live witness accounts uh, from behind the Iron Curtain, because from 1990, pretty much, you had access to people who were directly involved in it, and you also had access to the Soviet archives, which had been closed. So both uh, both of these uh, scholars and subsequent scholars have had this enormous eruption of of material and I think, uh, I suspect as well, in a sense it was so overwhelming, I think that Goldhagen may have resorted to finding one answer because otherwise it was too overwhelming, too emotionally overwhelming to really engage with the dangers and the horrors of, of the Holocaust itself. Um, and interestingly, uh, both Browning and Goldhagen tend to focus more on the um, the mass murders before the actual establishment of the concentration camps. They uh, they seem well, certainly with Reserve Batt- Battalion 101, that that's natural because that's the story of that particular group of men. But also Goldhagen goes less into the mechanics of the concentration camps. I think there are other books which cover that in much greater detail. And again, use those new Soviet archives. I'm thinking of people like David Cesarani and uh, Lawrence Rees, who've written real uh, authoritative books on the Holocaust and on Auschwitz uh, since the 2015, 2016, that kind of period.
1: So though I'm still in some doubt, and Perhaps it's right to be doubtful that there aren't any easy answers to to why the Holocaust happened. Um, I think we must take account of quite a few of Goldhagen's arguments, the history of anti-Semitism in Germany, um, and also the nature of how people responded to the possibility. We're talking here of the Einsatzgruppen and the others who were able um, to to kill, uh, sometimes optionally, And and he says that every perpetrator contributed to the programme of extermination and very few opted out of such duties in the institutions which were known to have given them the choice. So he says that they could have chosen not to do it. And we also know that no SS officers were executed for refusing to kill a a Jewish person because Himmler was responsible for granting permission for death sentences of SS officers. And there is no archival evidence that any such uh, permission was was given.
0: I think that's one of the things that is most concerning, is that the, there, there is clearly a huge complicity. But I think uh, Goldhagen also underplays the involvement of all sorts of anti-Semitic uh, individuals in the different countries where the Einsatzgruppen were, were operating. And we're looking at in, in Croatia, we have the Ustasha, which was absolutely vicious to Serbs and to Jews. We have uh, Lithuanian police. We have Ukrainians. Uh, you know, uh, I remember around the time I think the, the book came out, there was a the huge controversy around uh, the trial for John Demianyuk, uh, who was a Ukrainian who may probably did uh, um, op- operate in, in concentration camps and was extremely brutal uh, and, and I think was... Eventually sentenced. So uh, I think uh, he, it's true that there were, there were many, many people who clearly were complicit, who I think it's, uh, and I think this is one of the really disquieting things about it, who approached the task of, of destruction uh, and, and extermination with relish and with enjoyment. Uh, that is clear, and I think that's one of the most upsetting aspects of the book that there's just this huge number of people who were involved, who were willing executioners. But at the same time, I really am uneasy about the idea that it was purely German anti-Semitism which drove it, and and he's very explicit that it's German anti-Semitism. Um, and I'm looking at the fact that all around Europe during the 19th century, the time that Goldhagen kind of goes back to in Germany, there was, there was really strong, virulent anti-Semitism in other countries as well. Right across the Austro-Hungarian Empire, France, the Dreyfus Affair, even the UK, even Britain at that stage, had, uh, I think, was a more welcoming environment for, for some Jewish families, but on the whole was a fundamentally anti-Semitic society.
1: So my my final conclusion on this work by Goldhagen is it's highly disturbing, it's full of very, very horrifying details about what happened, but I think he was an honest student of the the period, I think he made an honourable attempt to try and define an unbelievably hellish situation, and I think he has conti- contributed a useful uh, piece of work to the the history of this appalling era. And I think uh, we, we should look at the perpetrators. Who, who are the people who follow the orders? Who are the people who do what they don't need to do? Who show spontaneous cruelty um, and who find reasons to indulge in private passions which they perhaps would not admit admit to. So I, th- I think he he should be considered, he should be commemorated as one of the, the great uh, thinkers on this subject, but uh, as with many such people, we have to find qualifications.
0: I would agree with that. I, uh, I think more than ever, now that 27 years have gone past, now that there's been a, a wealth of further research and investigation and, and scholarship in this area, Um, I think that the book is really important. I think it opened up a whole sphere of debate. uh, And certainly for me, it was uh, a gateway to a real exploration of the Holocaust, which I had not expected to do. Um, I I read, I think, subsequent to that, around 50, maybe even more books about Holocaust history, memoirs. uh, And I was searching, I think, for a way to try to resolve the doubts that I had around around Goldhagen's thesis, but also the fundamental question that still he does not answer, that he cannot answer, and I think is still really hard to answer, which is how could anybody have ever done the things that these people did? And we look right through history, and that's the case, whether you're looking at the brutalities and atrocities of the 30 years war, Genghis Khan's brutality. Right the way through history, we have records of humans behaving inhumanely to each other. And there's a fundamental failure to answer how that happens, how we unleash this terrible side to ourselves. And I think both uh, Browning and Goldhagen take us to a place where um, we are looking at uh, the ordinary people who participate in it, but we still don't fully understand why. And next week's book uh, was one of the books which allowed me to kind of move back and retreat from uh, what was really a wormhole of doubt, uncertainty and and pessimism about human nature. Uh, And that book is uh, Svetan Todorov's uh, Facing the Extreme. Uh, Todorov was a Bulgarian professor. And next week uh, I'll be back to the usual format and exploring a little bit about him. In the meantime, I'd really like to thank you, Peter, for joining me and uh, wish you a good weekend.